Social Impact CX, the podcast that helps you drive mission and make a difference with customer experience. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the Social Impact CX podcast. I'm John Corrigan, and I'll be your guide to how you can drive mission and achieve social impact with customer experience work. This is episode four of Social Impact CX, and again, thanks for listening. Today, as I record this podcast, it just so happens to be early April and the start of Community College Awareness Month. I'm very grateful for all the work that everyone does at community colleges, both their leadership and all the different uh, team members and educators, and uh, grateful for all their help, all their assistance, and all the support they provide to students in community colleges. They play a really important role. Your contributions are truly important and very much appreciated. So, um, customer experience work, when applied to social impact environments, both in a nonprofit as well as for-profit context, is really fascinating work. It gets right down to helping more people and achieving mission, and that's what we are talking about here at Social Impact CX. So, in the last episode of this podcast, we started down the path of exploring some commonly used terms in customer experience work. And we started with the word journey. And I also mentioned that sometimes the words used in CX work are not so common. In CX work, the jargon and lingo can sometimes be a bit thick. While there are words used that might make a lot of sense to some people in some common situations or scenarios, they don't always make a lot of sense at first to get used to uh, in customer experience work. And so you can very quickly get to jargon and lingo that might not provide a very inclusive feeling or experience for a lot of people. And so today I'm going to continue down the path of CX terminology and lingo and once again get into one of the most regularly used terms in this world of customer experience work. This time let's talk about the word personas. You know, it's not that long ago that I only heard the term persona in the context of fairly comprehensive or in-depth marketing research work. And then all of a sudden I turned around one day and it seemed that everyone was using the term persona. Persona or personas, uh, at least uh, what are being called personas, uh, seem to be simply everywhere sometimes now. But I quickly note that what is being called a persona is not always really a persona. Two lines jotted on a piece of paper or sent in an email or included on a slide in a PowerPoint deck does not really count as a persona. In fact, I've found myself in a situation not that long ago where there were so many different teams in different parts of an organization talking about personas that I decided to take the opportunity to host what I called a persona palooza. And and yes, I just said persona palooza. And yes, I made up that word. Sometimes that's just what you have to do when the situation calls for it. The, The funny thing is, is that once I told everyone that I was hosting a Persona Palooza, and I wanted representation from all the key departments and teams from across the organization. Everyone knew what I was talking about. We were going to have a festival of personas, per se. I told everyone, if you've got a persona, bring it from across the organization. Come one, come all, let's get together, have a good time, and talk about personas. Get them all out on the table. And so, while I found the process of having a Persona Palooza was very collaborative. Uh, It was a great way to introduce the conversation about what is a persona, what's a good persona, 
what's a persona that might need a little more development. Um, it was an extremely valuable experience and a persona palooza may or may not be a good uh, exercise for your business or organization. Um, I think what we should talk about in this podcast is what are the fundamentals of a good persona? Uh, there's, I think there's a lot of uh, preconceived thoughts about what needs to be in a persona and I personally think that especially in a social impact or nonprofit environment there is some flexibility here uh, but we should talk about the fundamentals of a good persona um, so if you're new to personas or even if you've been working with personas for a while now um, I just think it's always good to take a step back and, and kind of take it from the top and that's what we're going to do here in this podcast so for our focus on customer experience in social impact environments a persona for our purposes here at Social Impact CX, is a research-based, documented, and recorded representation of whomever it is that you're working to serve. And there's some key elements there that are really important. The research component is important, we'll come back to that. But documenting it and then recording it on a piece of paper or some sort of um, common representation, whether it's uh, print or digital, or whatever that is, so that everyone can look at it and you can achieve agreement on it or have a debate over it, whatever the situation calls for. Um, that's really important, but it's, an, it's a representation of whomever it is that you're working to serve. A client, a beneficiary, a customer, a member, a patient, a student, perhaps a paying customer. You know, who are you working to serve? What are they all about? Where are they headed? What commonly describes them? What would be included in an accurate representation of that individual or that person? That's what we're talking about when we discuss personas here at Social Impact CX. But before I go much further, remember that if you have a question about personas or any other words or terminology that lives in the world of customer experience work, please send me an email at comment at socialimpactcx.com and I'll get those added to the list of a future podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter and then tweet a question to at Social Impact CX with a question. And if you're listening on YouTube, please feel free to post a question in the comments after this podcast and I'll work on getting to you with an answer uh, either in a future uh, podcast or with a direct reply. And I'll give all that connecting information again before the end of this session. So let's get back to discussing what a persona really is. A research-based, documented and recorded representation of whomever it is that you're working to serve. Now, I'm not going to be so restrictive as to say that there's only one way to do a persona. There are many, many ways to put together a persona. You and a couple team members can likely put together a persona through a bit of collaboration, and that's usually a great way to get a common understanding of who it is that you're targeting with services or products or whatever it is that you're working to do. Alternately, you could also hire an agency, probably a marketing agency, to go and do uh, probably months-long surveying of a specific category of customers or members or beneficiaries, whomever that is. Um, you could easily spend five, six figures with such an agency, and for that type of effort, you'll likely end up with some type of usually pretty good, extraordinary type deliverable. If the persona is digital, because those are out there, um, a digital interact, uh, a digital persona probably pretty exciting because it'll be interactive and online. Um, uh, you also many times get personas in print format and when you have an agency do it, it probably will come beautifully bound and a wonderful paper stock that you'd like to reach out and touch. Um, because it's going to be really nicely done. But before anyone gets too excited about luxury paper stocks, 
I'm not so sure that's what we're probably really looking for here at Social Impact CX, at least for our purposes. The world of seductive agency produced personas is nice if you can afford it. But if you don't have the budget for that type of work, don't worry. A persona is an important element in the mix of ingredients that will lead to customer experience success. But a persona is not the end result in and of itself. And that's really important to remember. A persona helps you get to that end result. It's a key deliverable, but it's not an end result in and of itself. And you know, personas live and breathe over time. And so uh, personas should be revisited periodically, whether it's 12, 18, 24 months, whatever is an appropriate cycle for you. But they are, they are a contribution to your customer experience work that's really important, uh, but they are not the end result in and of itself. So it's worth noting that in some disciplines, uh, specifically many times related to where there's technology deliverables involved, uh, persona work it, it developed in a user experience context, and many times referred to as UX, which is UX is a key component of CX, especially if there's a technology uh, uh, element in the environment. Um, UX-driven personas may have some other very specific elements that if you are not working on an application or other piece of technology, uh, you should be careful to not necessarily get too stuck on those. Um, UX or user experience work um, has some very use case specific components. Um, it's all about uh, many times how somebody is experiencing an application or screen online and how does that help somebody or not help somebody uh, perform a certain action or navigate accordingly uh, based upon what it is you're doing. But if what you're doing is not necessarily online, it's more about service delivery or some type of offline experience otherwise, then some of the requirements of UX driven personas could very well become overkill. And so our aim here at Social Impact CX is to keep this simple. And so just have the awareness of of uh, if you if you go out there and read about what can be included in a good persona, if it's more UX driven, um, just understand that there may be some elements there that, that don't fit for the work that you're doing, and it's okay to skip those. And you know, I guess that's another point about this podcast is I specifically am not working to just deliver to you um, the information that you would find by going out and Googling what's in a good persona or how do I create a persona. There's a ton of information out there and there's a ton of great information out there. But what we're trying to achieve in this podcast is if you're new to personas or if you've been working with them but you'd really like to better understand what this is all about, especially in your environment that is really social impact oriented or a, a nonprofit environment, um, that's what this is all about, is talking about what counts in a good persona and how, how does that help you get to uh, a better experience for whomever it is that you're trying to serve. So I'll tell you, first and foremost, you're going to want to do some research with real people who will then help you form a representation of whomever it is that you're working to serve. Research is absolutely essential here. Personas can certainly contain other information and insights and knowledge that you have as an organization and ex as experienced team members, but non-research-based content only is not enough. You have to commit to research. At least a little bit of research is going to be required for uh, a quality persona here. Um, if you're looking at a document and someone calls it a persona, the first question you should ask is, what research was done and when? Make sure that it's timely. Uh, and that it's also real research talking to real people that represent whomever it is you're, you're working to, to serve. 
if only internal or anecdotal information has done it has been done and no real external people have been surveyed or interviewed then you're not done and, and there may have been a very good well-intentioned effort that's been completed to date but you're not done there's still important work to do um, I would say that some of the anecdotal or observational content could indeed be very valuable and add great context or depth to the end product that you'll eventually call a persona but until you've actually gone out and talked to the people that you're working to serve and you have a representative view you have the data and the findings from the actual external people outside of your organization your team and your leadership etc um, you're not quite done yet so as I said, there are some great guidelines online about uh, what should be included in a persona, and I um, suggest checking out different resources and see how well they fit to you. Um, but there is some there's some common sense and some good judgment uh, that should be applied to decide what will need to be included in your particular situation to form a good representative view of a typical client or customer or a member or whomever that is a representative of, of your situation. And uh, it's these things that will form the basis for the questions then that you'll want to include in your surveys or research that you're going to do. So as we talked about, first we're gonna commit to research, and then second, um, after committing to research, we have to, to determine what information will be most important to putting together an accurate representation for your situation. Uh, likely, you're gonna want to include at least some demographic questions or information, uh, and demographics are those uh, those key elements that describe uh, the basics about uh, the population or, or whomever it is that you're working to, to serve, whether that's age or gender or or race or how many kids they have or income level, uh, whatever that is. So so focus on the demographic categories that matter most to you. Um, and many times you'll want to be able to include the basics once again, whether that's age or education level, etc. But if all you need to know is a simpler view of whomever you're trying to serve, such as maybe who lives in a specific state uh, versus living elsewhere, or is, uh, is someone over the age of 65 versus people who are younger, I would tell you, don't be afraid to streamline and modify basic demographic questions. Um, you know, surveys should really only be so long, and so you don't have to get stuck on the demographics so that you take up too much space and time before getting to um, uh, other information that will allow you to better understand their thoughts and feelings and emotions and recollections about um, uh, about other elements here. So I would just encourage you to make the demographic section make sense for exactly what it is you're working on. I'm not advocating shortchanging in demographics. I'm suggesting that you should not get stuck on demographics or get overwhelmed by them. So once you've settled on a set of demographic questions that you'll then be able to compare um, across your, your set of research respondents, you're then going to want to focus on these other elements that will help you gain a better understanding about who it is you're working to serve and what's most important to them so that you can gain an, a, a set of understandings about um, uh, what does matter most when you look in the aggregate across all the survey responses that you have. And so the areas that you're going to want to ask questions on then 
Uh, and these may be open-ended questions. Um, a lot of questions done for personas, I think, are open-ended, but you can also have um, um, more closed-ended uh, questions so that you ask people to respond on something like a five-point scale or whatever makes sense for you. Um, um, but, but you want to ask questions uh, that get to, you know, what matters most here? Uh, what, what is it, what are their needs? Um, what are their expectations or goals that they have? Um, what do they value most? Um, and so these are ways that you want to structure questions once you're out of the basic demographic information. Um, you want to ask questions about, you know, why are they here? You know, what are they trying to achieve? That gets to goals. Um, and what are they, what's most important to them, uh, which gets to the values. Um, it's also great to understand, you know, what are, ask questions to understand their biggest frustrations. Um, or to, to let them convey what are their comfort levels in, in the situation that, that you're working with them on, whether that's your specific product or service or others. Um, that's really important information. And so uh, understanding their level of comfort or discomfort. Um, so tailor your questions um, to best understand what's important to you in terms of what that person is experiencing, so then you can roll that up uh, across the, the set of responses um, uh, to, to get better information, to get a better view of what's going on. So, but uh, before you start uh, working on um, the, the specifics of the questions, that, you know, you want to make sure that you presenting in the questions that you ask, you allow the survey respondents to present um, um, a, a bigger picture of what's going on with them and those questions are what's most important to you and so while you may find guides online of what should be included in a persona and a lot of them do talk about expectations or goals etc make sure that this works for you so uh, you know before I worked in the nonprofit sector I spent many years in the world of software development and other aspects of the technology world and, and I have to tell you that one of the best practices that I ever experienced was in one company in particular, um, we would have team meetings about a specific product or, or, or new line we were working on, whatever that was, a new idea, and we would leave an empty chair at whatever table that we were meeting at. And that chair was not off to the side or along the wall or in the back of the room. The chair was right at the table and it was empty and because it was there for the customer. And we could actually turn to that chair and use it as a point of discussion to say, what would the client think? What would this member think of, uh, of inclusion in this feature of functionality? Or if we didn't do this, or if we change that that they're used to, how are they going to react? You know, would they pay for something like that? Would that make this product or solution too expensive? Uh, while it seems a bit much maybe to have an empty chair. It's actually one of the best practices that I've ever seen and it's something that I still try to employ with teams that I work with. Having a chair for the customer at the table and in the conversation is I, I think a really great practice. And then I'll tell you that brings us to why it is you have to have the right questions in a good persona because a good persona tells you enough about that individual, the client, the beneficiary, the patient, the customer, whomever that is, so that you begin to understand things from their perspective and you can begin to think through how would they respond to this new product, this new feature, this change in service, whatever it is that you're trying to do. Um, you can begin to talk through as a team, uh, you know, what would they think? You hopefully gain a little better understanding of their thoughts or feelings 
um, their emotions, um, how they would actually uh, react to whatever it is that you're proposing to do. Um, the ultimate goal of a persona is not just creating a data dump from the research that you've done. Um, it's also not just about putting together all the color commentary that you have based upon the work that you've been doing over the past number of years. It's to combine real data with real insights that you have so that you better understand representatively what the customer or client or patient or member or whomever that is, what they're thinking. And so you have some real insights combined with real data. Um, uh, and you'll be able to use those research results in tandem with the, uh, the real subject matter expertise insights that you have um, uh, to then hopefully help you better understand what would be most important to um, the customer. And that, that's what's so important here. But I'd like to reiterate that uh, among the inf insights or uh, information that you have on a customer, a client or a member or a beneficiary, um, uh, putting them at the table and the center of your conversation is really important. And that data or those insights, uh, what makes them many times even more effective is if you put a name and a face with that as well too. Pictures are worth a thousand words. And, and actually what's really effective, what I've found in creating good personas is putting a face and a name and uh, on the persona and bringing it to life. This works with collaborating team members, it works with leadership teams. Uh, I think it's really effective and I would encourage you to go beyond just words um, uh, in your persona and make sure that you bring visuals, uh, put a face and a name on the persona so that you can actually talk about how you're helping or better serving um, Juan or Susan or James or Sue Kim Whoever that is, it's, it's great to actually have a better understanding. And that name and that image should be reflective of the findings that you have from the, the research that you've done to uh, create the persona. And once again, not just the observational anecdotal research, but the actual research you've done in field. It's important to uh, be reflective of that as well, too. So that was an initial discussion of personas. I hope it was helpful. Um, a good persona is rich with information and insights. It helps you make decisions that uh, have the best interests of whomever it is that you're working to, to serve, their best interests at heart. And then their interests also can be aligned with uh, what's most important to your organization and what you're able to actually do as related to capabilities of your team and the, re and the resources that you may or may not have. And so it's rich with the information and insights. Uh, it's one of the most important tools in a CX team's uh, bag of tricks or any team that's working on uh, trying to provide a better experience for whomever they're working to serve. As I've said before, Social Impact CX is also intended to become an interactive forum, a place to serve conversation and answer questions provide some context and definitions, hopefully achieve a better understanding of CX work. So if you have questions about defining and clarifying terms in this world of customer experience, please let me know. Uh, you can ask a question at Social Impact CX a couple different ways. First, you can send an email to comment at socialimpactcx.com. That's C-O-M-M-E-N-T-A-T-S-O-C-I-A-L-I-M-P-A-C-T-C-X.com. You can also find us on Twitter and post a question there. Our Twitter handle is at Social Impact CX. And if you feel so inclined, please include the hashtag 
S-O-C-I-M-P-C-X. And please follow us on Twitter to stay up to date with new podcasts and other related content. Or if you're listening to this podcast via YouTube, feel free to post a question in the comment section and we'll do our best to catch you there as well. While at YouTube, please subscribe to the Social Impact CX channel. Uh, and there's a new website in development that should have information there soon at socialimpactcx.com and uh, more will be available before too long there. This is John Corrigan reminding you that, especially in social impact work, it's important to understand that your mission is really all about someone else's journey. And the more you know about someone's journey, the more you can help. Thanks for listening to Social Impact CX.